This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest today is a host at Sportsnet who's covered everything from the Olympics to Serena's last dance at the U.S. Open. You've likely seen her ringside reporting for Hockey Night in Canada in the Stanley Cup playoffs or hosting Hockey Central. And she's back on your TV this week for Puck Drop, hosting Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. We talk so much about how important it is to have not just women at the table, but diversity of thought. I thought in high school, okay, I'm going to be a sports broadcaster because subconsciously I saw female sportscasters. Now that I think of all the jobs that I could have gotten into, like I just never thought it was a possibility. So that's what's so cool. And everything we're saying now is going to hopefully sound so dated in 5, 10, 20 years from now when it's the next generation. My guest today is Carolyn Cameron, who actually graduated from the same broadcast journalism program I did over a decade ago. I found it so weird that we hadn't run into each other in Toronto until the Jays' epic wildcard meltdown over the weekend. It is weird when you put it that way. Were you in the Fanshawe and the Western, did you say? Yeah. Were you too, or were you Fanshawe? I was both. So I did the, the joint degree diploma. And what was great about that, and I'm sure you'll agree, is like we got the degree and the diploma in four years. Boom. I know. And you know what? It was such a small program because there were only, what, 10 people per stream per year. But there's a lot of people in broadcasting. Like it, it did people well. But yeah, it was the, it was, was the best of both worlds because the hands-on experience was very good. And the writing all the essays while not fun was also very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny too because like I, I love writing and I kind of miss writing essays at that time I was like no I'd rather be pushing buttons on the board over here at Fanshawe yeah yeah so. I you know what's funny too is even in, and now I'm already get, going off topic before you could even start but even <laughs> now like in my job there's no scripts other than if we get a highlight pack and there's no teleprompter but I tell like students if I speak to them a lot is it's still as if you're writing in your head right? Before you speak, for the most part, like on this podcast, I'll just be talking without thinking it all ahead (laughs) too much beforehand. But on TV, you still, like, even though you're not actually writing, there's still a little bit of that practice in your mind, at least. So I will say it took me a while to figure out what I wanted, and I'm still figuring it out. But for you, was it always sports? Like, did you ever want to do news? Uh, Yeah, like even in high school, I had an idea that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and part of the reason, I mean, I always loved sports growing up and playing sports and I still to this day just love for fun and work watching sports and playing sports. Um, but I grew up in a family where I have two older brothers and we always spoke about kind of politics and current events and watched the news over dinner time. So I, I had that love of sports and I was also very interested in current affairs and journalism. So I thought of going maybe more that route, but I kind of put the two together and I'm glad I landed on sports because while it can be serious at times, um, it's mostly lighthearted and fun. And for viewers too, I kind of remind myself when we're on air, like it's an escape for people. 
right? It's they've had a long day at school, at work, as the saying goes, you never know what people are going through. So it's fun and nice to kind of be part of that entertainment for them, because that's what it is. It is as, as seriously as we take it sometimes and all the contract talk and all that sort of thing. It, it is entertainment. Well, that's you just hit the nail on the head with sort of why I ended up on the radio side versus the journalism side, not to not appreciate, you know, the politics and and all those things. But I just like found more joy on the other side of it. Yeah. So, okay, your first job out of school, what was it? Um, So like literally right after I graduated from Fanshawe and Western, I graduated on the Friday and on Monday I started at Sportsnet doing sports updates for City News Channel. So at the time, Rogers had this all news station or 24 hours news station, I should say. So it was honestly, it was great. And I was very fortunate to land on my feet at a school in Toronto and it was freelance and it was like a two and a half minute sport update every half hour for nine hours on the shift. So it was great in terms of getting my reps in and then being able to even produce them myself and the on cameras weren't scripted and you just had scripts for your highlights. So all of that, it was just, I was really fortunate the timing worked out that Sportsnet was looking for some kind of young, um, fresh on-air people to kind of help mold. And again, the timing was good for me to show up when I did. You're still with the same company now. Yeah, and that's what's been really cool. Like, it's been a decade now. And I will say, and I'm sure it's the same with you, what really helped me even land that job was doing extra things when I was in school. So Rogers TV in London, um, producing, doing a bit of camera work, and then on-air work. Um, And then even internships at TSN and um, Sportsnet's radio station in the summers. But yeah, it's cool. Like, I've been at Sportsnet for a decade, and I feel like I've had a lot of different jobs because I started, as I said, doing the sports updates, and then I became a reporter, and then I was kind of a fill-in anchor, and then they moved me to Vancouver for a couple of years to anchor, and then coming uh, back, doing some more hosting, and then I did the Olympics, and then they moved me over to hockey, and then doing, like, tennis hosting or tennis play-by-play, too. There's been a lot of, even though I've been with the same company, I've been fortunate because there's been a lot of um, a lot of places to move to, literally and physically, um, but also just a lot of kind of stepping stones. And I really appreciate even to this day, and I think I'll continue to being able to do different things because I want to get better. And every time you try something new, it then makes you a bit more comfortable and then better at the other job you're doing. Totally get that. And I I love how many things I have my hands in right now. And broadcast journalism is at the foundation of all of it, right? You know, I definitely had, I would say, a learning curve with like audio editing the way that the radio people learn. Do you find that too? (laughs) Yeah. A little bit? Mine was a little, uh, yeah. Like if I think back on my school days too, or just when I start, even interning at the fan, it was pretty rough edits. Yeah. Just splice a clip there and move on with your day. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, this this podcast is called the Women in Media Podcast. Um, It sounds like you've had an amazing decade. Any moments where being a woman stood in the way of what you wanted? Ooh, not sure if it's ever stood in the way, um, but it's definitely been something I faced and it's been something that's perhaps made certain steps more difficult. I'll put it this way, actually, like... The simplest way is I was so fortunate growing up that I was raised in an environment and even went to a school where I was just never, it was never pointed out to me that as a woman, you couldn't do something. 
So even when I got to university, I was still fortunate in that way. And then when I got to the real world, it was a, a wake up call because I'm, I'm thinking like, well, I've never been told I can't do something or that how I look determines if I can or can't do this or questioning my knowledge because I'm a woman. So that was kind of a big learning curve and stunning to me. And especially when I was starting out in the business and I was 22 when I started at Sportsnet is I would see some of these things and I wasn't comfortable speaking up. I just kind of wanted to get through and keep your head down. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, and just work yeah. through it where now um, I pride myself as someone who's more comfortable speaking up. And I think that's just even a natural development personally and professionally. Um, I wish I kind of had that bravery at the time, but I, the way I figure is now it's, it's also just not for anyone listening to who's really early on in their career. The way I see it now is it's not just about if you can handle it, because that's how I always felt. I thought, oh, okay, well, it's fine. Like it might hurt my feelings you if I hear someone say something. Skin. Right. But I can handle it. But it's not just about if you can handle it. It's about protecting those around you because you wouldn't want anyone else to deal with it. So there's no horror stories by any means. It's more so those like microaggressions or yeah, kind yeah. of just passing comments that um, I don't get as much anymore, but they still come by every once in a while. So maybe you can give me like an example of one of those microaggressions. Did it come from like management or people behind the scenes or like viewers in your case? So viewers, that was something I learned early on. A lot of um, like sexualized comments came from viewers over social uh, media. Yeah. And I think that's also given working in sports, it's a heavy male demographic, but that's something I've never been comfortable in. I don't... and. This might sound silly, but I don't, I know I'm on TV for a living, but I don't love attention. Like I don't like having a birthday party. I don't, I just don't love much attention, but I really like my job. And so the attention to me is kind of a side effect of the job. So especially that's that sexualized attention and comments over social media have always, they don't make me as uncomfortable now, but they definitely made me uncomfortable in my early twenties, especially when I was just really trying to get better at my job and establish myself. Um, So yeah, there were also sexist comments uh, made towards me. One of the funniest too that I got on social media (laughs) early on was something like, it was, it's so basic. Like you'd think, come on, like come up with something more creative. It was like, stay in the kitchen. And I, but I've never responded to these tweets, but I was so tempted because I thought I'm not a good cook. So it's actually much better (laughs) if I stick to sports and stay out of the kitchen. Um, and then at work, it's been, it's interesting because none of them have been malicious and not that I should give benefit of the doubt, but it's more so. And that's why they are microaggressions. It's just, it's just kind of passing comments or more attention to perhaps how I look compared to one of my male coworkers. Um, even just phrasing in terms of don't be too cute. And you're kind of thinking like, what well, what does that mean? Things like that. But all in all, in saying that, while yes, I have experienced that, I have to say I've also um, felt really supported too. And I've been very fortunate to have good male and female coworkers. And as the years have gone on, like even just reflecting over this past decade, it's just, it's gotten and getting better. And there's still a ways to go, but everyone's just a little bit, and I think the pandemic's helped too. People are just more vulnerable. We're, we're more open about talking about 
how we're feeling about things and how they affect us and kind of where we need to go. I think too, we have to, like you said, give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes because we're all in systems, right? And we've grown up certain ways and it doesn't mean that anyone isn't capable of changing and seeing another perspective, yeah, right? Agreed. I always like to give that benefit of the doubt. Okay, so you, you touch on being uplifted by coworkers, um, male and female. You know, you're 22 years old getting into the biz. Who's someone who showed you the way in the best way? You know what I think on t- like when you work in TV and it's the same, I guess, if on air for anything is people are so focused on the on air people. But for me, like some of the biggest supports to this day are like the makeup artist, for instance. And it's because it's almost like a barbershop on TV or a salon is those are the people who are like it's like a therapy session. You're talking you to see them, them every day yeah too, right? you're in the chair for half an hour and like these women I've known for a decade so in a way they've kind of helped me grow up so people like that. that and even I remember when I started at Sportsnet just the way the office was set up there were three women um, Pat Flash Jennifer Chamberlain and Carolyn Galvin all who are still within Rogers Sports and Media and they were all just they just looked out for me you know they were just very supportive and none of them were my manager um, I wasn't their direct report, but they just, they really looked out for me and I could ask them anything and they just gave me really good career advice and personal advice. And so it's people like that. It's not necessarily, I think the people, of course it is, you see. It, it is my coworkers that you would see on, on air, but to me, it's a lot, it's, it's the people behind the scenes who kind of lift you up the most. I love that. Well, Give us somebody that, you know, maybe the audience would like recognize the name of too, who's, you know, maybe offered up a great piece of advice or, or just, you know, been really patient with you when you were learning. Well, going back to school, I remember um, I came into Toronto because they had a sports. Yeah, it was a sports broadcasting day at what's now Toronto Metropolitan University. And Martine Geyer was there, who's a longtime anchor at Sportsnet. And so I asked a question during the panel. I remember being all nervous and it was very exciting, right? Like seeing these people <laughs> on TV and the producers. Yeah. And, and so I asked a question. Then afterwards, I built up the nerve to go up to her and introduce myself. And long story short, we ended up staying in touch. And I sent her a couple of my school projects and she gave me feedback. And then um, she gave me a tour of Sportsnet, too, where it's so funny, too. I met like a couple of the makeup artists who are... I've already spoken about and are still my friends to this day. And what really impressed me, but it shouldn't be a surprise given it's Martine, when I then maybe a year and a half got hired and I was in at work, she remembered me. And I just thought, like, what a lovely woman. Like, she was, she's just so genuine and supportive um, and has always been very supportive of me. So, yeah, Martine Geyer is one of those people. Ivanka Osmak, I've always been able to talk to pretty openly and it, it's nice having friends in the business who get what you're going through um oh yeah, yeah Carly Agro, sure. who I worked with for a couple of years so yeah there's a lot of yeah but Martine I just I just will remember her kindness when I was a, a student like I even think of James Duthie is actually someone who I bumped into the hallways at what's now Sobe Stadium when I was uh, volunteering in charge of the ball kids one summer. And I was in school and I bumped into him because he was a chair umpire for a celebrity game. And similar to Martine, we, I kind of said, I'm in school and this is what I want to do. And we stayed in touch. And he was on the phone with me the night before my Sportsnet audition giving me some tips. 
So the way I see it, it's just, I mean, so many people helped me. So the least I can do is help whoever's coming next. Only because I'm so curious. I've never heard what a, an audition for like sports TV is like. What, what is that like? What do they make you do? Yeah, this one was interesting too because, and I don't think this is common, they did it through a casting director. So, okay, let me think. There were three auditions over like a span of many months. So I just kept thinking like, okay, well, didn't get that one. Um, but the first one, it, was this the first one? Anyway, it was pretty creative. They gave you the sports section from that day's newspaper and gave you like five minutes and said, okay, after these five minutes, you need to come in the room and tell us in a minute the top stories of the day. And then, oh right? Oh my God, that's so, great. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And then the final audition, which was the one where I um, emailed Duthie beforehand, was actually, excuse me, actually doing a, a block of TV for Sportsnet Central. But like, you know us in school, ours was, it was radio based. So sure, I did TV with um, Rogers TV in London, but I'd never used a teleprompter or anything. So I was, yeah, yeah. it was probably pretty bumpy. <laughs> but I'd never read even my own words off a teleprompter. So that was probably bumpy, cool. but it worked out. So you've touched so many different sports. Uh, which has been your favorite to cover? Is it hockey? Um, I love hockey, but I think it's tennis because even as I explained it to my boss, is in Canada, so many people already care about hockey. You do not need to make someone or convince someone to watch the Leafs game. I mean, you could, sure, there's all, you always want to get new fans into the sport, but especially a decade ago when I started out, or even before that when I was interning at the fan, tennis was not a big deal in Canada, not to the extent it is now. So I've always had a special love for tennis because I love it, and that's where I've met a lot of my good friends when I was a ball kid um, growing up. So I love covering tennis because I see it as an opportunity to explain and share with people who don't maybe naturally watch, okay, here's why it's great and here's why you should try and watch it. Because for tennis too, the times I've covered it is when there's usually big things happening, right? Where you get the casual fans in. So the US Open just this past, well, I guess just a few weeks ago with Serena retiring, that's when you know, okay, there's some more eyeballs here who don't normally watch tennis. So let's kind of get them into it. Or Canadians over the years covering Bianca's run in 2019 and Milos well before that. So tennis has a special place in my heart. And then there, there's something like I'm getting so excited for the hockey season because you can just tell, like just people are excited, especially on the streets of Toronto. Well, with mixed emotions, because. It's still like, okay, are they going to get through a round of the playoffs? But <laughs> it's the same yeah. old beginning of season as always. But there's but, hope, yeah. right? And so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's what I said before. It's with sports, it's just fun sharing in the fandom and, and sharing those stories. Yeah. And with tennis, you have a built in challenge that you're just kind of like, yeah, let, let me try and convince yeah. you. Cool. So let's go back to the US Open. Serena's last dance yep. please tell me about your experience like where was there an added layer of pressure for you reporting on that no not really and sometimes too um like I feel extra pressure when I'm part of the like say the broadcast so if you're part of like the hockey broadcast or like in the game you know there's more eyeballs where this is kind of a different um you have a bit more time to think because the broadcast is on TSN and it's through ESPN 
so it's it's kind of after the matches that I'm able to kind of like rehash and and explain what's going on. So I wouldn't say there was extra pressure, but it was really just special to be there. And it's kind of the pinch myself moment moments um, and times where you even forget you're there for work because you just get so into it and excited and you almost have to like correct your nervous system so that you can do your job properly and not seem like a crazy fanatic. So yeah, it was so cool. It was honestly one of the loudest things I've ever experienced in sport. And for people who don't know, Arthur Ashe Stadium is literally the biggest stadium in tennis. And it's almost like a a bull ring. Like you're kind of on top of each other. So even if you're in the nosebleeds, you don't feel like you're way out of the stadium. So it was just... It was so cool, and it was so cool that tennis could say goodbye to her in that way. And, yeah, to be there and be a the part of it. The little twirl. Yeah. And seeing her daughter and all the celebrities are showing up. The U.S. Open, too. I will say tennis tournaments are really fun to go to as a fan, whether you're a big fan or not, just because you can walk the grounds and see so many different tennis matches and so many different players. And it's just it's such cool energy, especially in New York. Do you play tennis now? Yeah, I used to play a bit more. I haven't played as much um, during the pandemic. I'm trying. I'm like on the wait list for my local neighborhood outdoor courts. Nice. And hopefully, I get in next year. But yeah, I've always played. Like I didn't play competitively, but I've always been like a pretty good recreational player. And I've played on like adult teams um, since I started work. So yeah, I really enjoy playing. On that other level, though, um, of so many extra eyeballs being there, it was because this iconic woman mm-hmm. right in her career that she was put you know put into bed um what was your take on the way serena sort of alluded to it being her last dance and actually witnessing it and like her energy i think what was really nice and i was working on national bank open with uh tracy austin who's a former world number one and she won the u.s open twice and is to this day the youngest to win it. The first one she won, she was only 16 years old. And she said that it was so nice of Serena who hinted earlier in her career that when she retired, she'd just quietly leave and no one would know. She said it was so nice that Serena gave us the opportunity to say goodbye. And I think what's so special and it shows why Serena is so much bigger than tennis is that a lot of the celebration wasn't, I feel like a small percentage of the celebration was about what she'd accomplished on the tennis court. And the majority of the narrative worldwide was about her influence, not just on the sport, but on society as a whole. So with two girls growing up in Compton and cracking into a sport of privilege in tennis, um, like it's, it's pretty incredible what they've done and how vocal both of them have been um, standing up against prejudice. And even still what Serena's doing whether you are a fan of hers or if you're a fan of Venus is is even still in what they do is is like standing up for equity, um, equality, even Serena sharing her personal journeys with health and her pulmonary embolism that she had after giving birth and how sharing that story because it, it affects black women at a much higher percentage than it does um, Caucasian women. So it it's Serena's always been um, a name, but it, I think this farewell tour just really emphasized that she's so much bigger than tennis. And so in her way, she doesn't like saying retirement, but but I mean, she is right. It's it's kind of an evolution from tennis to what's next. Evolution instead of ending. Yeah. yeah. What's something we may not have seen not being in that stadium that 
you will never forget from that match. That final match of hers was just so Serena against Tomjanovich because she just kept fighting. Shaky stars. Yeah. And the fact that she yeah. just didn't give up and it it was like, it was just incredible. It kind of encapsulated her career in one match and one, one final game. And even just what people didn't see is I've never seen crowds like that on the grounds. And I've been fortunate to go to the U.S. Open um, to cover tennis and even just go as a fan uh, a handful of times. And it was, you knew where Serena was because of the flock of people. Like I was getting a little <laughs> nervous security wise. It's like this cannot be safe for this many people to be like pushing up against each other. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we got the hockey season coming up Mm -hmm. here, and the majority of what you do at Sportsnet is with hockey at the moment. Um, Heading into another season coming off of a summer where we're hearing all this BS from Hockey Canada, I feel like there's there's a big shift going on right now, and that's just me talking as a fan. Do you feel that too? Yeah, totally. And I think it's just like it's long overdue, and I still feel like there's more to come. It it just fe- it feels like the the shift is starting and it's heading in the right direction, but I feel like we're still just waiting for answers on so many things. It's not like we've passed that stage and we're now moving on to the the rebuilding. It, it's we're gonna kind of have to rebuild this culture while we're still hearing these awful stories of the past. Did you read the survey? I have to ask. Yeah. So to give a little context to anyone listening who hasn't, a a marketing firm essentially put together a survey on behalf of Hockey Canada. And there were just some things in the survey that sort of tell us that they're fighting for the wrong things. Like PR. Yeah. Yeah. Like to ask in a survey, do you think that our media attention is overblown? Like, is that really what the world is asking of you right now? And again, that's where I mean the shift, like it's just starting. It kind of feels like it's we're just at the tip of the iceberg right now. So I think what's what's been beneficial in hearing more stories come out, um, as heartbreaking and awful it is to hear that these stories exist, is the fact that we're talking about it more. And And that's something that in hockey, like, I think probably many people can even relate to in in certain workplaces is that these things have been going on for many years, but people have been protecting each other. So now that protection, I think like week by week and month by month and story by story, that protections, it's decreasing. Um, So that's the good that's coming out of it. And the fact that we're talking more openly about it. And I think what I think what bothered me and bothered a lot of people the most this summer is when the news came out that the fund that they were using to pay for these lawsuits was um, in part funding, or money, sorry, from registration. And I just think of my now six-year-old niece who just started hockey a year ago. Chances are she's not gonna keep playing hockey for the rest of her life, but I even just think of what hockey has done for her in the past year is it's built her confidence. And even just the simple things of being scared to fall, and because of a Sarah Nurse Barbie now, like Sarah Nurse to her is just like the ultimate and the dream. And the fact that Sarah falls means it's okay for my niece to fall. Just that confidence and the lessons that sport and even hockey can teach you. It's It was just so disappointing to see that the money that my brother and sister-in-law paid for her to play hockey was going to that. So it's 
like hockey can be good and it is good. And it's a shame that in these areas, which like is hockey Canada, it's the biggest of big that we're seeing um, leaders fail us. So it's, it's kind of like a, unfortunately a grassroots uprising now where it's everyone saying, come on, be better. You have to be better for us because we won't accept this. Yeah. Uh, Also part of the shift is more females in leadership Mm -hmm. and scouting in the NHL. There's so many great stories over the last year. Is there one that struck you as really inspiring? They're all inspiring, but is there one that was a little closer to your heart? Uh, I think it was just great to see. I remember actually it was New Year's Eve last year and I was on the fan um, and they were asking like make some bold hockey predictions this year. And one of them that I made is that there's going to be um, an assistant general manager, uh, a woman assistant general manager in the NHL. And now I think like, shame on you, Carolyn. Like that was your bold prediction. Like, uh, like <laughs> no. So I think the fact how, I mean, I say this tongue in cheek because quickly in 2022 it's happening, not quickly over time. Um, but again, it's, it's that shift that you spoke of where now that it's started, I think it's just going to, just keep going from there. I'm supposed to speak with Megan Hunter. Oh, cool. Um, Did you run into her in London, Ontario? No, I didn't. But I've, um, I met her. She comes every year to Brian Burke's um, sports conference in Toronto. So yeah, good for, she's so modest too. Like people used to ask her on the panel, oh, do you think, oh, well, maybe I really like my job. We'll see. It's like, uh uh-huh, come on. What's so funny too is like, she was like, I'm honored you're asking me to come on this podcast. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yes, you're welcome. Look what you've accomplished. We talk so much about how important it is to have not just women at the table, but diversity at the table, diversity of thought. But I even think when I mention my niece and if I think of myself as a kid is I thought in high school, okay, I'm going to be a sports broadcaster because subconsciously I saw female sportscasters. Now that I think of all the jobs that I could have gotten into, like I'm sure I, I, it, I just never thought it was a possibility, right? Because I didn't see someone in that position who looked like me. So that's what's so cool. And it like everything we're saying now is going to hopefully sound so dated in five, 10, yeah. 20 years from now when it's the next generation. Yeah. I want a career highlight on screen and a career highlight off screen. Um, you know what? Off screen, I know it was when I was living in Vancouver and I was um, my I was very close with my grandma and she had dementia. And when I moved to Vancouver, um, I, I missed her and I wanted to do something to give back because I couldn't visit her. So I started volunteering at seniors homes and doing um just some hosting and volunteering with the Alzheimer's Society. And I was asked to host a panel with for Hockey Fights Alzheimer's. And it was with Guy Lafleur, Owen Nolan, uh, Kirk McLean. And I remember, and I don't know if you're like this too, I was really nervous, even though my grandma wasn't there. I was just nervous because I was I felt like I was doing it for her. It wasn't just like me doing work. And um, there was a like little snippet in the newspaper written about it. And it said how like I had done a really good job and shown that hockey players like idols have or legends have idols of their own. And I clipped it out and I still have it somewhere in the newspaper. And I was just so proud because it was for like raising money for Alzheimer's and I'd kind of done it for her. So I was proud that I'd yeah done a good job. So that's probably one of my proudest off air 
on air? Hmm. Um, I think any time it's been a first, because I'm a naturally pretty anxious person, and I usually can hide it pretty well, which I don't know if that's a good thing, but hide it well on air. <laughs> but any time it's a first, I'm usually very anxious in the days or even weeks leading up. So anytime I um, push through and do something I'm afraid of, even that actually that move to Vancouver was scary because I was about to turn 24 and I was moving across the country, didn't know anyone, was starting a role that I'd hardly anchored. So I was very aware that I did not have much experience and this could all go terribly wrong. So I was really proud of myself that I, I took a leap and it was one of the best things I could have done for myself personally and professionally. So... Yeah, anytime you do something that scares you. I always say there's no better feeling than being proud of yourself. Yeah. And the next thing isn't so scary. The moving thing, I it's like forcing yourself into a totally different environment, oh, yeah. right? It's it can kind of flip your world mm-hmm. upside down. When I did that for radio, like moving cities, like I didn't know anyone. I, know. I think the only person I knew was my boss. I remember I watched <laughs> so. all of the se- however many seasons there are of Dawson's Creek cuz it's like then they <laughs> basically were my friends. Because I had no friends. Yeah. My records were my friends. I, I yeah. discovered the record store and was like, oh, this old guy will talk to me. It'll be great. But it's great because you become <laughs> so. a yes person socially. Because yep. you're like, yeah. It's like kindergarten. Yep. Or it's, it's almost like dating, but for friends. It's like, oh, I hope that, uh, like, I hope they enjoyed that coffee. I don't know if I should text them. or Like, you just need friends. It's so funny. Um, you sort of touched on this before about, like, being more comfortable to stand up for yourself now. Um, whether it was on an, like an equity issue or something else, um, tell me about a time that you've had to raise your hand and raise your voice. Uh, I think even in the past year at work in terms of, I mean, we've spoken about Hockey Canada, but even if I think of nearly a year ago when Kyle Beach bravely came forward with his story, oh, yeah. it just led to conversations within the office. Um, and I think it, if, if it had been a decade ago, I would have been a um, more quiet listener where now I felt more comfortable of saying, this is how we need to report it and this is why. Um, so I think in those instances, it's it kind of grows my confidence in, um, and even just making sure, um, not, this, doesn't, this part doesn't really answer your question, but even just making sure I'm, I'm being inclusive at work, especially in the sense of making sure that everyone's comfortable. Um, and feels heard, especially when those more difficult, uncomfortable conversations come up. And in a way, in doing that behind the scenes, when you're broadcasting to to the masses, you could say, is it's also keeping in mind of, okay, I don't know who's watching this and how it could affect them. So you wanna make sure that you use the right language, you wanna make sure you use the right tone uh, and make sure that in the best way you can because you're you're generalizing the audience but that you can stand up for everyone and make everyone feel heard and accounted for which is very much a work in progress but that's something that's more top of mind for me now um even on a daily basis even if it's still just talking hockey it's just being mindful of including everyone who's watching yeah, I feel that. I feel that too. In uh, the work, yeah, the work over the last five years, it's like there. There was a point, I'm sure, for you too. Even though you said you're kind of uncomfortable in the spotlight, there. There's a point where it's about like you and your on-screen persona. But now I feel like it's about like sharing that yes. screen time a little yeah. more. Right. That's where I have to say I am so lucky at 
my work in terms of who I work with is it's such, and I think it's also just working with former athletes. It's so team, it's the, it's the team mindset. Like it's, you're just helping each other out and the show's only as good as, you know, the weakest link. So you want to kind of bring everyone up. So I'm really, that's what I really enjoy about it. And it reminds me of sports. I mean, they all played at like Olympic professional (laughs) levels. Actually, that makes me think now I'm getting (laughs) off topic. But there was one night I was working with Jennifer Botterill, who is just like the sweetest, nicest, most like she's just done ever she harvard grad like multi-gold you know you need to nominate her i will she'll be the most polite (laughs) she'll be like oh no that was nothing just a gold medal um (laughs) and one night we're just watching a late game and it was ot in a regular season game that really generally meant nothing and i'm like oh my god like imagine how do they deal with that pressure like and she's just like oh yeah oh yeah and then I, like, a couple seconds later, I came to, and it's like, oh, you're not just my friend. Like, you've been an Olympic gold, then you know how to deal with the pressure. This is not <laughs> anything. For me, this would be something. For you, this is not anything. Give me, like, a funny behind-the-scenes moment. Jennifer or anyone else, like, there's got to be some hilarious bloopers oh, yeah. that happen. Give me one. Um, Give me one. Um, I honestly, and this sounds so cliche, but I kill myself laughing at least once a shift. Because you're sitting in the, yeah. like, when you've got many hockey games and we do West Coast games in the Toronto time zone, you're just sitting in this room, like, two, three, max four of you, kind of in couches watching the game. So it, ve- it very quickly becomes, you're kind of hanging out, and yes, you're still figuring out what you want to do for the intermissions, but it's just funny. Colby Armstrong once, like, leaned back and fell off his chair, just things like that. But <laughs> I, and I was like this in school, I get the, if I get the giggles... Like it's oh. a risky. So that's again, sometimes I got it again. Luckily I work in sports, but sometimes yeah. it, you have to check yourself at midnight when you got the giggles and you're getting a little loopy. It's like, okay, team, we're <laughs> going on TV and our jobs and livelihoods oh, depend man. on it. Do you remember the name Trisha Flatley? Yeah. Fanchon yeah. at all? Yeah, her and I had a really bad case of the giggles in the booth <laughs> co-hosting for what what was the um, XFM? That's mm-hmm. the one. Um we could not regain. And you're screwed. There's no coming back. What is a piece of feedback that you've received in your career that's been hard to swallow? Like even if it made you a better broadcaster, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh I remember uh early on in my career actually when I moved to Vancouver, the boss at the time got me a voice coach. And I think the purpose of it was they wanted to get rid of some of my Canadiana, which I still very much have. Just I have a very, I guess, thick Canadian accent, which gets pointed out sometimes. So the round and about and things like that. Um, But I will say what helped from the voice coach was I didn't speak as I wasn't losing my voice. So it actually I think it did get rid of a little tiny bit of the Canadiana, but it was even more helpful for preserving my voice and that. I guess talk less. Well, for me, I'm not like for me, it was I was just loud and like straining and it's kind of like nasally, which it still gets. I don't have like the I don't have like, you know, those voices that are so good on it, like Chris Simpson, when she voices things, I'm like, oh, what a voice. Like, it's just a Martine. Yeah. And then I'll hear my stuff. I'm like, well, okay, I kind of get the the voice coach. (laughs) Bring bring the voice coach back. Um. Yeah, I'm trying. There was nothing that hit super hard. Maybe that's also because of of my two older brothers, and I'm not 
too I'm pretty self-deprecating you know, as yeah as is so there's been nothing that's hit too too hard I'm okay with bluntness mm-hmm. as long as it's not too mean how did your how did your brothers celebrate you getting into sports broadcasting oh, like I'm sure they were they're very the proud room. now granted I'm the bigger I was always the bigger athlete and sports fan in the family um, but yeah, they're very proud and it's, it's fun for them to watch. It's fun for my parents too, but it's cute. Cause my mom especially just is, is not interested in the content. Like she's very much a, she likes to watch a bit of tennis or, um, like she'll watch a Jay's playoff game or the Olympics, but you can't really get her to be super keen on like a Wednesday in December hockey game. So she'll watch it. She'll turn to the channel to sit, to support, and then she'll just, carry on over to the weather network (laughs) (laughs) what are your thoughts on the upcoming season with the Leafs are you a Leafs yeah I grew up a Leafs fan once you're in the business and I'm not saying this to like say I'm unbiased it's you honestly just cheer for you just want good hockey and for the bottom line it is important for Sportsnet for Canadian teams to do well but when I'm in most nights I just want to watch good hockey for the Leafs I just I've actually listened to the 32 Thoughts podcast this week with Elliot uh, Friedman and Jeff Merrick. They've been doing a bunch of interviews from the media tours and uh, talking to Nathan McKinnon. um, That was a and even Sidney Crosby. Those interviews really struck me with how much losing and thinking it was your time got them to where they are now. And again, I know that's kind of me selling the hope that's sold every year at this time but I really do think there is some validity in that in that you have to you have to get through those times before the success comes and I really do think the Leafs are due and I'm not just talking time-wise because obviously they are due but the loss to Tampa hurt a lot less than the loss to Montreal a year before actually that's so true how do we feel about the the milk? The milk? I'm fine with it. I'm also not like a jersey buyer and I get in terms of the business, yeah. it's good and it's money. I love the players I being I think the sponsorship <laughs> thing is yeah. cool. It doesn't really bother me. I love though even yesterday the players being asked about it. It's like what what are they going to say? Like John Tavares is like, "Yeah, I think it's uh quite subtle and uh like milk is good." It's like, "Yeah." <laughs> We're good. I'm okay with it. So funny. My thought was like, you're going to get people showing up, you know, in their jerseys being like, I wanted to say oat milk or mm-hmm. almond milk. Like, I bet you know, people will have fun with it. I bet like milk cartons will be at the game or bags of milk. Like there's going to be a milk like bag guy, you know, it'll be fun. You heard it here from Carolyn Cameron. Yeah. There's your marketing Journalism idea. It's finest. <laughs> so we sort of already talked about some of your favorite women in media, women in sports, but who do you want to actually nominate to come on this podcast? And please begin with Jennifer Botterill. Um, and ask her even if you get Jennifer Botterill on, just ask her about like her GPA and how many goals she scored for Harvard and just try <laughs> embarrass to, her basically. Yeah. Just see how much she'll talk about it. Um, okay. Who else? Carly Agro, who, as I mentioned, I worked a couple years with. I think what she's doing is really cool. Like within the span of, I think, three weeks, she interviewed Serena Williams in Toronto and started law school. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> and she'd always, I remember when she told me that she was um, like taking a leave from Sportsnet and starting law school, I was, I was surprised, but I wasn't shocked because she'd all, she told me years ago that she always thought about it. And I just think, Good for her, especially in an industry like ours, which is so fickle to like 
Yeah, I just think that's so cool for her going to law school. So I think she'd have really interesting things to share. Cool pivot. Yeah. And then who else? Who should I do for the third? There's so many people on my mind. I'm just thinking of who will get least mad at me if I just throw their name out to do a podcast. (laughs) Especially if they're more behind the scenes and a little shyer. I think the people behind the scenes deserve the kudos. I I completely agree. Um, Mm -hmm. You know what? And she probably won't see this coming. Uh, Carolyn Galvin, who I mentioned earlier, she works now. She was longtime like head director um, at Sportsnet, and now she's with um, the Shopping Choice, which is also within Rogers Sports and Media. She's just a hilarious person. She basically, she in a way like moved me to Vancouver because she came okay. really just to see the the studio and make sure everything was set up. But she used to live in Vancouver, and she was so sweet to me because. When she wasn't working, she like drove me to Deep Cove and took me Aww. out to dinner and was just like helping point the direction of basically where I should buy furniture. <laughs> just very, Everything. yeah. Um, so yeah, Carolyn Galvin, she'd be a good interview. So this was so fun. Um, thanks for being so open to share about your career. It's very cool watching all the things that you have done as well. And thanks for coming on Thank the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing this too. I'm a avid listener to the podcast too. I'm a bit of a broadcast journalism nerd too. So it's fun listening to all of them. Watch for Carolyn hosting Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey this week, setting up the season for us and continuing to use her voice for the right reasons in sport. Now, for a completely different take on the media spotlight, my next guest is Kristen Smith, the fiercely independent wife to country superstar Dallas Smith. She's up next here on the Women in Media podcast. Until then, thanks for listening. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.